study on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be looking at the passage of Scripture known as the Lord's Prayer. And this is a prayer that, if you've grown up in church, you're probably familiar with it. And it's an example that Jesus gives to his disciples, and really everyone who is there, of how they should pray. And we're going to be reading through this, and we'll look at it in context. But before we do that, I just wanted to emphasize that this prayer is not meant to be like a mantra to be repeated. Rather, what Jesus is doing here is he's giving a template for us to follow that's supposed to focus more on the themes that are being prayed for rather than just reciting the words over and over because God doesn't want us to just recite things with no meaning to it because he doesn't care so much about our words. What he cares about is our hearts and having a relationship with us. So while we're looking at this, we're going to be looking at what each line of this prayer is praying to God about and the themes that are being communicated in it so that we can focus more on that aspect of the prayer. So before we get to the prayer itself, let's read through the whole context that the prayer is found in. So this is Matthew chapter 6, and it begins at verse 5. Jesus tells them, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I know some Bibles don't have that last part on there of, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. But we'll be including it in our discussion today. But let's start with this first line. And we'll go through this Lord's Prayer line by line. So the prayer begins with the address, Our Father in Heaven. Now, this is part of why I wanted to read the whole thing in context, because this first line is interesting when you compare it to the context that this prayer is put into. Because Jesus just finished telling the people rather than praying on the street corner for everyone to see, to go into their room and close the door and, and pray to God in that context instead. Which is why it's so interesting to me that the prayer begins with our Father in heaven, because our is a word that is plural, not singular. 
So he doesn't say go into the quiet of your room and say my father in heaven, but rather our father in heaven. And I think that's important in our understanding of prayer that on one side, it's not supposed to be a fully public matter, right? We're not praying specifically to be heard by other people like the Pharisees were doing. It's, it's not a public event. But also on the flip side of that, it's not meant to be an entirely private event either, where it's just between you and God and whatever is on your heart and whatever is on your mind and what you want and you need, it needs to have a broader scale than just that. So that you're thinking of not only you during your time of prayer, but you're thinking about your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're thinking about people all over the world rather than just yourself. And you'll see that as we continue in this prayer, that everything in this prayer is in the plural context. It's always our Father or our daily bread or our debts. So the prayers that are being prayed are not a singular prayer, but a prayer of plurality, showing that it's meant to encompass more than just us. Now also in this prayer, it's important to note how we are addressing God, that we are addressing him, well, first of all, that we're addressing God directly. We're not praying through any saint, we're not praying through any prophet, we're not praying through angels or pastors or priests or even praying through Mary, but in Jesus' example, you, we are to pray directly to God. And it uses the term Father, which is a term of endearment, which I think works really well with the instruction that we're given in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, about coming boldly before God, that we aren't coming before God timidly, that we're not coming before him like an employee coming before their boss, but rather we come before him like a child comes before their father. Because that truly is the kind of relationship that we have with God, that he is our heavenly father. He's not only the father of all of creation because he created all things, but also in Romans chapter 8 verses 14 through 17, it talks about us being adopted into the sonship of God. And so that then is why we pray to him in this way, our father in heaven, not just me, but for every believer. And I'm, that's who I'm going to be thinking about in this prayer. I'm not just going to be thinking about myself in this prayer. I'm going to be thinking about others as well. And I'm not doing it for the sake of others or for the, being seen by others. This is only for God but I'm recognizing that I need to include more than just me, and I'm coming bef before him directly and boldly as a child coming before their father. So that's the opening address, our father in heaven, and then hallowed be your name. Hallowed is, is another word for holy, which means without any blemish or impurity. That God is pure and holy in all that he is. And this is really the first prayer, the first petition that is given here, is that God's name will be holy. Now, God doesn't need us 
to sanctify his name. He's more than capable of sanctifying his own name. But what is taking place here is that it's not we are making God's name holy, but rather we are reminding ourselves of who God is in his holiness. So it's more for our sake than for his to remind us of who he is and really that everything that's going to come later in this prayer and everything that we do in our life should ultimately be for God's glory. Not just for our benefit, not just for our comfort, but because of who he is, we want to make sure that we are aligned with his heart and his character. So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The next line is, your kingdom come. Now, the kingdom of God is a kingdom and world that takes after God's character. And remember, God's holy. He is pure. He is without blemish. And so the kingdom that he is seeking to establish is one without sin. It's one without death. It's one without suffering, without any ill will between people. It is a perfect kingdom. And this is the kingdom that God is already working to set up in this world. And it has been promised to us. We know that the kingdom of God will come. So that so when we're praying that his may his kingdom come, we aren't saying it as boy I sure hope it comes one day. Oh, I sure hope the kingdom of God will be established, but rather we are praying that it will be done quickly. That it won't be long in coming. That it won't take forever for God to establish his kingdom, but that his kingdom can be established as soon as possible for the betterment of all people. And of course, the place where that begins is in our own life, in letting God's will take place in our life, which is why this then, the line of your kingdom come, transitions so smoothly into the next line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we're praying that in, in order for God's kingdom to come, and it comes only for those who accept that kingdom. God's not going to force his kingdom onto anyone. Even though it's without any trouble, it, it is perfect in every way, he still won't force it upon us. And so in order for us to receive the kingdom of God, first of all, just in our own hearts and lives, we have to be willing to accept it. And so praying that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a prayer that we will be submissive to his will. And it mirrors very well with when Jesus is praying in the garden in Luke 22, verse 42, before he is taken away to be crucified. And he's praying to his father saying, not my will, but yours be done. And that is the same prayer that we are to have that is found in this line. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we want earth to be more reflective of heaven. And the further and further away that people get from God and the perfection that he created the world to stand in, the further we get away from that, 
the worse things become for everyone, ourselves included. There's more suffering, there's more war, there's more torture, there's more greed, there's more jealousy, there's more hatred. All of these things grow and increase as we move further away from God and, and, and from the will of God that reigns in heaven. And so we then are praying, God, let your will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven so that earth can be more like heaven. Let it be less like hell and more like heaven. We don't want hell on earth. We want heaven on, on earth. And it only comes through us being submissive to God because we have to sacrifice not only Satan's will for the world, but also need to sacrifice our own will, our own rebellion that goes against God. So it begins in our own heart that God's kingdom comes to fruition by us allowing his will to be done in our lives. And the more and more that takes place across the world, the more and more the world can be reflective of heaven. And so that is what is being prayed for there. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we move on to the next line. Give us today our daily bread. And this is really the first prayer that has much to do with us at all, isn't it? Or, or at least our needs. See, up to this point, it's been about God's will being done and, and God and his holiness being who he is and that that will stand in the world. And now that that has been taken care of, now that we have recognized God, we then begin to ask for God to recognize our needs and the things that we need. Now that that part is taken care of, because that needs to be taken care of first, right? Just like in the Ten Commandments. The first commandments are about who God is and who we are in relation to him before it ever gets to how we are supposed to live in our worldly lives. So we recognize God, and now we begin to ask for God to recognize us and our needs. And this is just as important as anything else. And it's allowed. It's okay to ask for God to meet your needs. In fact, in James chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, we're told that we don't have things because we don't ask God for them. Or when we do ask God for them, we're not asking with the right motivations and we have impure motives behind those requests. So we have to put God first. And then in order to receive those things from God, we need to ask God for them. We need to knock on that door for it to be opened up. And God wants to give us the things that we need. He wants to give us good gifts because he's a loving father. That's what's talked about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, that God is a loving Father, and he wants to give us good gifts. But he waits until we ask for them. And so Jesus, in this example that he gives us in how to pray to God, tells us to ask for our daily bread. Now, it's important to also note that this is a prayer to simply cover our necessities, right? We're asking for bread, 
We're not asking for a full feast. We're not asking for yummy desserts. We're just asking for bread. It's just what we need. Not asking for more than what we need. Not asking for niceties and comforts, but that God will simply meet the needs that we have. And it's only enough to meet our need for today. Give us today our daily bread. Not for the whole week, not for the whole month, not for the next 10 years, because then we start drifting into um, matching the description that Jesus gives in the parable of the man who stored up so much for himself and then his life was taken away, right? We don't want to be like that person that stores up way more than we need. But to pray to God, God, the needs that I need met today, please meet those needs. And it's only enough to cover today. But then we know that those needs will be met. And then also the fact that it's our daily bread. It's interesting that we aren't asking for God's bread to be sent to us. We aren't asking for manna to fall from heaven from its, like it's done before. But rather, it's our daily bread. In other words, it's bread that we've already earned. It's bread that we've already worked for. And that goes to the passage that talks about eat. someone who does not work should not eat. So we aren't asking for bread to just fall out of heaven for us and to give us the, you know, the nicest feast to fall out of heaven that'll last us for the whole week. That's not the kind of prayer that is being prayed here. But rather, it's just what we need, and it's something that we're willing to work for, is what we are currently working for, but that it will give to us, be given to us, and it will sustain us for today. And we don't need any more than that. And again, We've got the plural word being used here, our daily bread, not just my daily bread, but our daily bread. In other words, this isn't just going to sustain us alone, but it's going to also be used to sustain those who are under our care. And maybe someone who is not able to work, that needs fed as well, that we can take care of them as well. Because we're not asking for my daily bread, we're asking for our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread, what we need to survive today. And from there we move into the line, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now the debt that we owe, that that all people owe, is a debt to God as the price for our sin. Now, of course, that's not a debt we can pay off, nor a debt that we have to pay off, because Jesus already paid off that debt for us. And so we are simply asking for the forgiveness that has already been given to us. Just like asking for our daily bread, we're asking for our forgiveness that already belongs to us, as long as we simply accept it. Now, this line begins with the word and, showing that it is connected to this idea of our daily bread, showing that 
the forgiveness that we are to ask for. This prayer for God to forgive our debts is supposed to be also a daily occurrence. And this is because we sin daily. We fall short of God's will on a daily basis, where we don't live up to the example set for us by Christ. And so just as how we need our daily bread, we also need that daily forgiveness. Now, we don't need that daily forgiveness because we've lost salvation. I want to be very clear about that. It's not that every single time we sin that we lose our salvation, and so we have to pray for forgiveness of our sin again in order to keep that salvation. That's not what I'm talking about here. This isn't a process of repetitive salvation, but rather a process of repetitive submission, of recognizing that we have done things that are not pleasing to God, and that we're recognizing it's not pleasing to Him, and we want to repent from that, which is not just a forgiveness, it's also a turning away from that thing. It's putting that thing behind us. It's separating ourselves from it in recognition that we need to live better. We need to live more closely to the will of God. So forgive us our debts, just like how we need our daily bread. Daily also, forgive us of the wrong that we have done and help us to be able to turn from that thing and to walk in greater submission to you, God. And then connecting that with, as we have also, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And Jesus really emphasizes the importance of that after the prayer, saying that if we forgive people when they sin against us, our Heavenly Father will forgive us. But if we do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, we need to make sure that as we are asking for this forgiveness, again, as a daily occurrence, that we are also forgiving those who have sinned against us and giving that over to God. Because we are not the judge of that sin. God is. And just as God is the judge of that sin, he is also the forgiver of that sin. The forgiveness doesn't for other people's sin really is not needed to come from us it's needed to come from God and that's why we're praying that God will forgive their sin and of course God will forgive sins when people are repentant but what about when they're not repentant well when they're not repentant they need to understand that need for repentance they need that understanding. And it reflects well with when Jesus is on the cross in Luke chapter 23 and in verse 34 where he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And he prays that over the people who are crucifying him, who are killing them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And so what this prayer is that, you know, God forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's a prayer of grace for others. A prayer that they will recognize their need and that they will come to that place of forgiveness because they need to be saved 
from a fate far worse than death. And that should be our hope for them, just as it is God's hope for them, that he hopes that no one will perish, but that all people will come to him. And so this is included in the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then we go into the line, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, we are praying this prayer not because God leads us into temptation. That's not what God does. He's not trying to set a snare for us, not trying to set a trap to catch us. And here's this temptation, and oh, you messed up, I got you. That's, that's not what God's doing. But he does have the power to free us from sin. And that's what this line is addressing. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Not that God leads us into sin, but rather he has the power to lead us out of sin. And both of these lines are really two sides of the same prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us out of sin. Deliver us from the evil one. It's saying, God, don't lead me into this, but lead me out of it. Lead me out of one thing and into another. And whereas the first part of this, of not being led into temptation, is, is really more of an immediate need. God, this is something I'm being tempted with, and I don't want to fall into that temptation. So I want to rely on your strength rather than my own to resist that temptation. So God, give me the strength that I need to resist this temptation. Don't let me lead myself into this, but God, lead me out of it. So that's the immediate need. But then the second part of it, of deliver us from the evil one, this is more of a continual condition rather than an immediate need. So this is saying, God, not only do I want you to give me the strength to resist this temptation now, but I want to be led out of this. You know, maybe it's out of this addiction that I'm in so that I'm no longer addicted to it. So I'm not just resisting that addiction today, but, but God, that I am freed from that addiction going forward. So the first is immediate. The second is continual. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then finally, as some manuscripts include, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And this is really taking everything that has been prayed and, and really wrapping it up nicely, putting a nice little bow on it and giving it to God. And it's really reflective of how it begins of, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, to now, and your, and, you know, in addition, your kingdom come, your will be done, to now ending, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So it's taking all of us, all, all of the things that we have prayed for, this whole progression, and bringing it full circle around back to this needs to be about God and his kingdom and his power and his glory. Because ultimately, that's what it needs to be focused on. And that amen at the end, it, it's almost like a seal. Like if you were to 
put together a letter and you put it in the envelope and then you seal that envelope before sending it off. That's how I think of the amen, that it's it's that seal on the envelope. And it is kind of interesting that, you know, we end prayers with that amen, especially when we think of how scripture tells us to be praying continually, right? To pray without ceasing. At all parts of your day, you should be in communication with God. And yet, we have these prayers that we kind of put this period at the end of, and and we seal it, and we say, Amen, let it be so. And I think it's important for us to understand the importance of having that aspect of finality to a prayer. Because... What that can provide for us is when we say a prayer and we seal it and we give it to God, we know that God always hears our prayers. He's never gone to the bathroom or busy with somebody else and he misses our message. He always hears us. And so when that prayer is given to God, for our own sake, it kind of allows us to Just kind of sit back in our chair and say, okay, I don't need to worry about that anymore. I've given it to God. He knows what my need is, and I've asked that that need will be fulfilled. And he has heard me. So I don't need to worry about it anymore going forward. I don't need to keep coming back to him again and again and again to make sure that he heard me and make sure he's still aware of this and make sure he hasn't forgotten because God doesn't forget and he always hears. And being able to kind of put that seal at the end of it kind of does allow us that that finality that we need, that closure of, okay, this has been given to God. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And in fact, the whole parable that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 18 in the first eight verses of that chapter about a persistent widow going to a judge again and again and again, that whole parable is teaching us that God does hear us and that we don't have to treat God in that way because God doesn't treat us in that way. That we don't have to keep bringing the same request before him again and again and again and again and again for him to hear us and to answer that prayer. Only once, and it's been asked for. He already knows before we ask, but he wants us to ask, and we only need to ask once. And that really does tie back to what he says, you know, leading up to this prayer, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I truly do think that it is unbiblical to go to God with the same request again and again and again and again and again. You've already asked. He already knows. Seal it. Amen. And know that it's in God's hands. Now, I'm not talking about daily needs. We continue to ask for those daily needs. God, I need bread today. I needed bread yesterday. You gave me bread. It's a new day. 
I need more bread? That's fine. When it's, it's a daily need, God, I sinned again. Let me do better. Forgive me for this sin. Let me turn from it. Let me do better today. That is what we're encouraged to pray. That is what our prayers should look like. Whatever we need today to pray for that. But praying for the same thing over and over and over and over again, I believe shows a lack of faith that God heard you the first time. That we somehow think we have to keep going back to him because maybe he's forgotten or, or maybe he's not thinking about it and, and we need to make sure we remind him. God doesn't need our help like that. Say the amen, give it to God, and trust him with it, and move on to pray about other things. Because you shouldn't just be praying about what you want. You should be praying for all people all over. And whatever the daily needs are, that's what we should be praying for. Everything that's new and daily Continue to pray for it that day. Don't pray for it the day before. Don't pray for it the day after. Pray for it the day of. And when you have prayed for something, give it to God and let him take care of it. He will not forget, but you need to have faith. And this is the Lord's Prayer. And it's through this prayer, this example that Jesus gives us, that he teaches us to pray with humility. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That's humility. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's submission. Give us today our daily breads. That's trust. So in our prayer, we need to have humility, submission, and trust, which are really all components of faith. And it's that faith that is required to give our prayers power. Because it's not just us complaining, it's not just us saying what we want, but it's saying that we recognize who God is and we are giving our worries over to Him to take care of. And trusting that he will take care of it. Amen. And that is how we should pray. And that's today's sermon in the pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And wherever you're listening to this, make sure you like it, share it, all of those things to help Get it out there so the message can be heard. But until next time, I pray that God blesses you as you go throughout your day, and I thank you for taking the time to listen.